only upon seeing the full picture with the benefit of all relevant intelligence can one conclude that much of the reported intelligence has been misconstrued in media reports, presumably because of this lack of context in these instances. Well, I've been waiting for a response to David Johnson throwing blame of this Chinese interference on CSIS. I mean, as if they should be blamed for the prime minister's failure to have a proper system set up. But uh, I expect we will at some point get more leaks in response. But now we are hearing from those who worked for this organization. And don't really take kindly to those blaming them for what the prime minister and government failed to do. It's impossible to think that no one was told any of this in cabinet or in the prime minister's office. You know, if true, it's either by design, you know, willful blindness or complete incompetence. But neither is acceptable. My next guest worked 30 years with Canada's two intelligence services, the Communications Service Establishment and CSIS. He did things like cryptanalysis collection, translation, analysis, distribution. So he also knows how it's produced, marketed, and he would know how decision makers can be better informed. And he's written a really interesting op-ed for the Ottawa Citizen titled David Johnston owes Canada's spies an apology. His name is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks for having me on. When you watched Mr. Johnston um, deliver his decision, and, and clearly he did blame the media for being wrong, but then parked blame with the CSIS, saying it was inaccurate, that the distribution of intelligence is broken, and, and blamed it squarely on the backs of the agencies. What do you want the apology for? Basically, what I want is him to acknowledge that the intelligence services that we have here in Canada, which are not perfect, by the way, no one says we were, you know, we're, we, we do our due diligence, we're, we're professionals, we know how to do our jobs, we know how important the information is that we have, we, we know we don't sit on it, it sitting on intelligence is, is, is pointless, you want to share it with people who can use it to make better decisions. And I would just like him to acknowledge that we did that. And yet, I, when I read the report, I, I kind of get the opposite feeling that we don't know what we're doing mm -hmm. and we didn't disseminate intelligence properly. And as a consequence, the failure to take action on Chinese interference in our elections isn't with the government, it's with CSIS because we didn't warn them properly in time. And that's complete BS as far as I'm concerned. What has the reaction been from the community itself? Because it's not like they're, I mean, you, you get the pundits and the talking heads that go out, but, but what in the, in the community is the feeling? Is there anger, uh, betrayal? Um, where is that? Oh, big time. A lot of my former colleagues have thanked me to the nth degree for writing this. They're also quite surprised it actually got an airing. But as you mentioned, Alex, you, you, you and the media are getting this as much as we are. In terms mm -hmm. of, it's all your, nothing to see here, folks, yeah. in terms of the government. I think a lot of us feel betrayed. A lot of us feel that our our commitment to Canada has been undermined. It has been uh, a lack of acknowledgement. And we just want, you know, CSIS isn't going to speak up for itself. Neither is CSE. They're far too secretive. And so it kind of falls to people like myself who work there to try and tell Canadians, hey, uh, these people know what they're doing. Uh, and, the, and they're very good patriotic Canadians. And they want to do their best to help our country. And I, I guess that's the feeling that I'm getting from the people with whom I worked over 30, 32 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we are to believe anything of what Mr. Johnston said, uh, that, you know, cabinet, the prime minister, no one in the prime minister's office knew about this. I mean, for what, eight years, apparently. Um, this would mean that the spies are all sharing their intelligence beyond them, you know, within themselves, but not making sure it gets to the top. It's almost impossible to believe that once CSIS drops its uh, evidence and its work off, you know, uh, they're not responsible for taking it up the chain of command, but it seems impossible to, I think, most people that it would not move from, you know, the desk of, of those in command up to, up to a higher level. 
unless it was intentional. Well, well the, there's two possibilities there, i.e. I, I, complete incompetence, and you refer to that in your introductory remarks, or the intelligence was so inconvenient that it went against policy, it went against what people would prefer that it say, it went against interests, and as a consequence, it did not get delivered up the line. But you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we, we deal with some very, very senior people in the Canadian government. So I certainly did during my career, up to and including ministers. And so for this this notion that it wasn't passed on, as you said, it's not Caesar's fault. We, we can't dictate mm -hmm. people. You know, you, you can lead a horse to water, Alex, but you can't make him or her drink. And for me to to accept that this very important intelligence about a very serious threat to our democracy was not shared, um, there's a problem, and this problem is not with the security service, it's with the customers who receive the information in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Johnston seemed to take the word of the politicians, uh, you know, and it was like, did you see anything? No? Okay, I mean, this was not done by subpoena, it was not done under oath, um, but he didn't really talk to many, I think, CSIS officials, he doesn't know what they were saying, um, so if CSIS got it wrong... Or, or the government got it wrong. I'm looking at this saying, well, who can be trusted? Uh, certainly, if the government's not getting the information, then I think a lot of Canadians would look at it and say, well, who can we trust to keep us safe, if not the government in charge of setting up the system? And I'm hearing that trust word an awful lot in letters of the editor and in reaction online to these things, as Canadians uh, trust in politicians, uh, never the greatest <laughs> at the best of times, seems to have taken a hit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he claimed to have talked to the director of CSIS and the chief of CSC, and I'll take him at his word for that, but uh, it was a very rushed meeting, I would imagine. And, and and the bottom line is that Mr. Johnson is a fine Canadian, but he didn't spend 30 years in intelligence, and intelligence is complicated. Yeah. You can't just sit down with somebody for half an hour, an hour, and, and understand the entire process, which is why you and I are having this conversation and why I wrote the op-ed piece in the first place. But I, I think, you know, end of the day, Canadians have to take uh, or, or hold the prime minister and his colleagues to task. Uh, they had the information, they didn't act on it, and as a consequence, our elections were interfered with. They can't keep, you know, punting this down the road, saying nothing to see here, or deflecting blame by putting on security services. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where this is going. I suspect eventually the uh, horse will be dragged to water and somehow his head will be stuffed in it to drink. But uh, when until we get there, I mean, what is in the report, if you actually read it and don't just listen to Mr. Johnson's clip, it actually backs up what the media lays out and, and the threat itself by CSIS. And, and he himself has said it is dangerous, it needs to be dealt with with urgency, and then yet gives all of the Trudeau government a pass and then glosses over and clears Mr. Um, Dan Hong who, according to the report, very much was on the radar and that the prime minister had been warned. So how do you go back to business as usual, given we don't have all the answers? Uh, that's a great question. I, I find it disingenuous. The prime minister is now saying how serious this threat is. And two months ago, he was saying nothing to see here, folks. The elections were affected. You can have trust in our democracy as if Mr. Johnson or anybody else can actually measure the effect in our elections. Because last time I checked, Alex, when you go into, into, the, into the polling booth and mark your X, no one knows how you voted and why you voted mm -hmm. that way. And for this categorical, oh, it didn't affect the elections, I have no idea. You know, end of the day, uh, CSIS does its job. This is what we're paid to do. So CSE does its job. We, we do the best we can, and we pass intelligence up, and then basically we rely on officials to act upon it. That's, 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 that's their role. We've done our role. It's up to them now. How much damage... I mean, we know that in the media how much damage, you know, when uh, Trump or Trudeau or any of them, um, you know, cast blame on us and say, tell us that we're wrong when we know that we're not. How much damage, though, does this do in the bigger picture to the intelligence community? It has a huge hit on morale. I can tell you that right now. Um, there already are morale issues for a variety of reasons I won't get into. But 
when you're basically told that uh, a your intelligence is piecemeal i've seen there were rumors thrown about in terms of prescribing intelligence and that you didn't uh you know you, your best product was not used we saw the leaks to the global mail by mm -hmm. apparently somebody we don't know who that person is could be exceses could be an ex-customer we don't know but i would have guessed their frustration is is tantamount and you know I, I'd spent 32 years in the business and I'm now retired, but if I were there, my first question to myself, this being a Monday morning is, why am I going to work today? If, the, if everything I do to the best of my ability goes nowhere, what's the point? Or if you're the whistleblower, you say, well, Let's go. We'll take it as far as we can. You know, we were talking about the fact that, you know, Johnston did not talk to anyone under, um, you know, oath. So it was just a simple, what did you know? And it seems that he took everybody at their word. But, you know, reading on Friday that Aaron O'Toole was just briefed on Friday, just briefed on Friday that he had been targeted, is being targeted, was being targeted, certainly when he brought his concerns to cease. It's like he brought them in 2021 during the election, saying that they felt up to 13 ridings were being compromised. That was ignored. And then we learned that in Mr. Johnson's report, he didn't meet with Mr. O'Toole until two weeks before he aired the report, and it was already finished being written. And so how are we to believe that with Mr. O'Toole's evidence missing, the fact that, you know, nothing was said about Mr. Chong in the report, um, you know, how, how do you possibly justify that you can't have an inquiry given the man running to be prime minister has been targeted for two years by China? Well, on the issue of inquiries, Alex, I, I'm kind of hot and cold. I mean, we seem to be a national sport in Canada to mm. have inquiries and royal commissions. I don't know what good they do, to be honest. They, we, we go through the motions, a report is written, recommendations are made. It'd be a great study into what the actual impact of these inquiries and reports are. I think, though, that, you know, the report was rushed. He certainly claims to have met with, I believe, more than 45 people, if memory serves me correct. Uh, you know, to do all this in 45 days, and that includes translation, by the way, hence Mr. O'Toole's comment that by the time the, the ex-Governor General met with him, it was already in French translation. It seems to be that, that the government or Mr. Johnson or a combination thereof uh, basically went through the motions to do this, uh, met with people briefly, got some information, and wrote a report. And then if I was a conspiracy theorist, which I'm not, mm. you might want to say, well, were the conclusions written before the report was even, uh, you know, researched in the first place? So I, a lot more time should have been taken to actually get to the bottom of this, go through the intelligence, have in-depth conversation with the analyst who produced it. I'm not sure that that was done. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give Mr. Johnson, I guess, some credit for at least doing some of the work, but it seems to me that this was almost a foregone conclusion when he when he mm -hmm. absolved the government of any blame in, in, in the end. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, if CSIS doesn't pass the information up to the prime minister, of course, we're supposed to believe that that did not happen. I mean, who decides? Who decides if the prime minister, is, you know, what he sees and, and when? Well, one of the challenges we have here is in Canada, and, and, and myself and my, my, my former colleagues all agree, we have a very poor intelligence culture to begin with. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is that governments of either political stripe, uh, many senior officials don't get intelligence. They don't trust it. They don't like it. They think it's dirty. Uh, they think it's something that they shouldn't have to worry about. And as a consequence, um, our agencies don't normally have direct access to the prime minister, very different than the Americans. Where I had a, a friend once who was, she was the presidential daily briefer for President Obama. Mm -hmm. That's how high she got. We don't have that here. And as a consequence, what happens is that the intelligence that's passed on to senior officials, we're relying on them to pick up the phone and say, hey, JT, uh, I just got this briefing from CSIS and or CSE. You got to know this, sir, and I need to meet with you right now. That doesn't appear to have happened. And so the question then, then should, should become, 
why do those officials think there was nothing there to pass on to the prime minister? Right. They obviously uh, decided that um, it wasn't worth his time, that it wasn't important enough to, to put on his agenda, and as, and therefore he 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 can maybe honestly say he didn't see it. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't see it, it's because the people who work for him didn't give it to him. Right. Not because Caesar didn't produce it in the first place. Or a plausible deniability, because how can you say you know what you're not told? Uh, you know, it, it can be a convenient tool. Having said all that, you know, Stephen Harper uh, was speaking at an event recently, and uh, some of the audio got out, and he said, you know, China's political interference in Canada is pervasive, and that the full extent of its encroachment in politics is more severe than what's known and said we've got to be less naive to globalism. So I think a lot of people probably react and say, well, well why didn't he do more? Or, or is it now that it's m too obvious to ignore? But I think the initial is, well, <laughs> what did you do about it? Well, they were talking political partisanship, right? So there's that is part of the issue as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I think he was right. I, I think that, you know, my, my colleagues at CSIS, so I didn't work the China task. I was a terrorism analyst at CSIS. So I, that wasn't my kind of bailiwick. But I do know the people that did. And they did the best job they can with the resources that they have. And you, when you work with CSIS, Alex, you have to realize that it's not just China you're worried about. You're worried about China and Russia and Iran and North Korea and terrorism, this and that. You have a lot of things on your plate, a lot of investigations, a lot of information. And so your resources are finite. They're not infinite. And therefore, I think when Mr. Harper's saying that, it's probably true that there are other manifestations of China's interference that we haven't had the time to get around to look into because we have all these other priorities as well. Let's face it, terrorism has been the number one priority in, in the past 20 years yeah. because of the post 9-11 period. And so the organization needs more, more resources, both financial and human, to try to get to the bottom of this. But the fact that China has been doing this, uh, we've known that for 30 or 40 yeah. years, and yeah. we've been reporting on it. The extent of it is probably we haven't got to the, the bottom of it, but there's no, no question to me it's a very serious threat. And it warrants more attention, not less attention. Right. I mean, the Australian Prime Minister uh, warned when this started uh, dropping in November that we had to get on it, be bold about it, get in front of uh, China and not back down. And we've done anything bad. But we've been wasted months, seven, eight months uh, with political games, basically feeding into China's game. Um, how long do we have to fix this, Phil? And when... <laughs> Can, could we just move on and not fix this? That's the concern I think most Canadians have is that this is so political now that, you know, someone will call an election, it just goes away. And I think ultimately Canadians want to know that this has been dealt with and solved. I'm a glass half full kind of person, Alex, normally. But on this file, given that this issue has not been taken up, dealt with for, for 30 or 40 years really worries me. Uh, you know, your point about an election, I think there'll be, it, Canadians will move on to be, but how about them Blue Jays, you mm -hmm. know, and, and mm -hmm. we'll, the conversation will shift and I'll get lost. And, and you're right, China's laughing all the way to the bank in terms of what they've done here in Canada and will continue to do. I mean, there's the whole police station issue you may yeah. be aware of, these yep. illegal oh, police yeah. stations are using to monitor Chinese dissidents, Uyghurs, Tibetans, etc. How long did it take us to, to deal with that particular situation? We haven't. I, I just think that governments don't care. Uh, they don't think it's important enough. It, maybe it's not a vote getter as far as they're concerned. And most vote, vote, voters, alas, are going to forget as well. And so we're going to, you know, It'll, it'll go to the to the wayside. People will forget it, ignore it, whatever. It'll keep going on until the next crisis breaks. And, oh, we should do something about this. And, I, I, again, I wish I were more optimistic. But in, on this front, I, I'm afraid I can't be. I, I, I really would be very surprised if something significant were to be done. We did punt one Chinese diplomat. And they did a they did a tit for tat and punted one of ours from Beijing. That's the way this this game plays, but a, a much stronger message has to be given to China that you know you can't get away with this. But there's other interests, yeah. i.e., economic, that are that are at stake here. 
Stay tuned. I think uh, Canadians, by and large, uh, see the bigger picture here. I just hope the politicians can. Uh, Phil, very much appreciate your time on this so much, very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good day. That's Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, but well over 30 years at CSIS. And if you want to read the op-ed, it's in the Ottawa Citizen. And Mr. Johnson owes Canadian spies an apology. Question is, will he get that apology out? I am not so sure.